1: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
0: We've kind of adjusted some things based on everything that happened last year. Uh, The semester has changed on campus. We actually brought our, uh, our players back this past weekend. Um, for campus rules uh, they've got to go through a, a quarantine period and we got to get them tested and uh, we wanted to make sure everything was it was handled the right way and, and safety was our, our primary concern so we've kind of received the majority of the team back on campus now and uh, they'll get started officially with winter conditioning uh, on Monday uh, for spring ball we're going to move it back a little bit uh, we're not sure if we're going to have spring recruiting or not but I want to get a full winter conditioning in before we start spring ball uh, in order to do that we needed to delay the start of spring practice a little so we'll be the five five weeds leading up to the end of april and planning on having a spring game on may 1st
2: and welcome here to this edition of the husker online show sean callahan robin washa and a klaus we're all together here in studio guys and uh, we hit on this a couple of weeks ago on husker online but uh, it's official May Day, may 1st is going to be uh, the nebraska spring game i believe the latest in school history um, it makes sense in a lot of respects because the semester is starting much later, um, and, and you don't want to shortchange your winter conditioning program. There is no spring break this year for students. It's 14, 15 weeks in a row now uh, for Scott Frost and this team starting Monday. They'll begin a very intense eight-week winter conditioning program, and then they'll take a week off. Then they'll start spring practice on Tuesday, March 30th. Um, and they'll go for five straight weeks of practice, uh, coinciding with a May 1 red-white spring game. And then the final exams at UNL start on May 3rd. And then the team will get some downtime, and that will take us into the summer. So um, we kind of know what's next for Nebraska. And it will be interesting just to kind of see, you know, what, what this all looks like. And, you know, will we see fans at a spring game? And, and, and you know, there's going to be some more roster movement and things that happen here in the coming uh, weeks and months.
3: Yeah, but at least now we actually have a a time frame of, you know, what's next. I mean, obviously with the book being closed uh, after that Rutgers game, you know, there was a lot of questions and, a lot of shaking out that needed to be that needed to happen both with you know staff with the roster and and all that stuff and while like you said there's still some loose ends yet to tie up you know at least now we can you know set our sights towards um you know the, the end of march and uh have an idea of of what you know what when what, what questions that we have for the spring are finally going to get answered and it's delayed a couple of weeks i don't think it's a big deal whatsoever uh, like scott said i think getting a full winter conditioning program is so important for this team, and it's just kind of the, the the last uh, bit of the aftermath from all the, the pushback that happened in the fall, and once you get through spring, then the calendar can get a little, little bit back to normal.
4: Yeah, even if spring recruiting does open up on April 15th, and I would imagine that the coaches only practicing what th- three times a week—Monday, Wednesday, Friday. If they probably. really wanted to to get out a day or two, um, you know, during those first two weeks of the spring evaluation period, they they still could. But I, I think you know I, I kind of like the way that they've went ahead and and set it out and. Uh, They've got a they've got a plan in place and, and, you know, can adjust if need be, depending on on how things kind of shake out between now and then.
2: And don't you think, Nate, if they do open things up at all in April or May, it's going to be a pretty slow roll. It's not going to be like, all right, the gates are open and everyone's out five days a week.
4: Yeah. I mean, I would even imagine that there's going to be schools across the country that that don't allow a bunch of you uh, visiting coaches to come through their hallways and and into school and everything even if it is technically opened up by the NCAA. So, yeah, I would I would imagine that regardless of of what the spring evaluation period is going to look like, you know, depending on when it opens. I mean, it's it's not going to be your your typical spring eval period. Well, another reason why I think they wanted
3: to do the the spring the way that they did and make sure they got a full winter conditioning program is the fact that there's 12 mid-year enrollees, 12 early enrollees. In 13. Here, 13. that, that are, Counting the transfers. Yeah, that are going to have to uh, you know, make up some ground and get ready. And so this provides them ample opportunity to do that, get their feet under them, get settled in, and then be able to participate in a full spring ball. So I, I'm sure there's plenty of reasons, but that probably had a lot to do with it as well.
2: Okay, Nate, uh, we thought it was 14. Scott Frost on radio said 13. Is there somebody on that initial list of 14 that's not here that you know of?
4: Yeah, you know. Not to my not to my so it knowledge. might be fourteen. Um, yeah, it, it it might be fourteen. I I know that on signing day they announced, uh, I believe it was eleven, and then the uh, three transfers. Yeah, and then you've got the three transfers. So I mean, unless there's been somebody, you know, somebody that that kind of fell off of that initial list, um, you know, I, I, as far as I know, it's it's fourteen. It's fourteen.
2: Okay. And uh, one other thing, I don't mean to open up an old scab here, guys, but Scott Frost did address the decision to vote on the bowl game. I want to play this and then we'll give our reaction. Here's Scott Frost on the Husker Sports Network addressing the player vote not to play in the bowl game.
0: A lot of the team, probably most of the team, uh, wanted to go on and play, uh, but the, this is kind of the one time because of how weird the year was that I, I wanted the team to help decide, and uh, you know, we also didn't want to go into a bowl game unless everybody was committed and gung-ho and excited about going, and uh, it was just such a long, hard year that we couldn't uh, get a unanimous decision from that standpoint. and. Um, you know we went through a lot of things last year greg that i think the team needed to go through for growth and uh, i'm glad we got that opportunity to do that this year and i think it'll uh, lead to better things next year and beyond
2: and that was scott frost on the decision uh, to have a player vote not to play in the bowl and i'll tell you this guys uh, i don't think there will ever be another player vote again um <laughs> that whole deal uh, i'm sure if scott frost could have like mulligans he'd like to have that situation back but we know this. There, there was a group of vocal offensive players, and um, some of them have moved on now to the NFL or not here anymore. Guys didn't want to play. And that was a tough deal that they were in when your entire defense, when your large group of walk-on guys wanted to go on the trip, but your key offensive guys didn't want to play. And it's probably not something they want to talk about much more after, <laughs> after that comment from Scott Frost.
3: Yeah, I think it kind of just embodied all the things Nebraska was dealing with. In the locker room where you know for the most part they had a team that was you know ready to you know try to play as many games as possible and make the most out of the season given all the sacrifices they'd made but clearly uh there was a group and even if it was a small group it was obviously a, vo- a, a group that had a loud voice in that locker room uh and uh, they were enough to kind of sway the opinion uh, of that decision and you know looking back on it yeah i'm sure frost you know i guess i get it the fact that the season was what it was they went through that much of a grind and if if your team wasn't bought in on playing in a bowl then you know uh, how much would you actually gain from it but hearing that you know the majority of the team wanted to play and yet they still didn't because a handful or a group of players didn't want to it kind of shows the you know the, the d- divide. divide within that team and kind of uh, is a, a big picture look at some of the problems they were dealing with all year
4: well and he says that this is probably the one the one year or the one time that, mm. that we let the the team actually vote on something like this because of uh, how weird the the year was and uh, which I get, but, yeah, there's no doubt that I think he probably wishes he would have maybe done th- things differently or, or at least learned from this and, and knows that, you know, from, from here on forward, maybe that's a, a coaching staff decision instead of a player decision.
2: What would have been interesting, though, guys, is we know Luke McCaffrey was out. He wasn't going to play in a bowl game. And it sounded like Martinez was hurt pretty good from Rutgers. I mean, we're, if you watched it in the game, he was stretching himself out. He had multiple things he was battling would Logan Smothers have started a bowl game? I mean, that would have been intriguing. Um, What would the quarterback position have looked like for a bowl game? Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, and, I mean, uh, obviously you had guys that already kind of had one foot out the door. Uh, It turned out that uh, would have been big pieces of that offense that you'd have to replace, you know, on a short amount of prep because that bowl would have been, what, like a week, two weeks uh, after the end of the regular season? could have been
2: as early as the 26th, as late as January. I mean, there, there might have been one that was even after New Year's, but hmm. probably the 30th was what I mean. I think they were shooting for the game in Charlotte, the one that Wisconsin played against Wake Forest. I don't know if they would have gotten that bowl over Wisconsin, um, but that would have been the one I think they were eyeing. But a lot of guys got spooked, my understanding, about missing Christmas. Once it was said like you won't have any time mm-hmm. to enjoy Christmas, you have to stay here, that turned some yeah, let's do it to some other guys. Like, you know what? I don't want to do this now.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, especially the fact that there were guys that, you know, like Adrian Martinez, who said he hadn't seen anybody in his family since Nine March. Months. So, you know, I, eventually, you know, that, that just the, the length of the grind of the season just wore him down, I'm sure.
4: Yeah. I, mean, I can see it both ways, um, definitely. You know, I think that uh, – um, they, I mean they definitely went through an awful lot uh, I know that there was a, the large majority of the guys probably hadn't been home since April or, or May uh, at the at the earliest but um, yeah I, I think everyone is probably happy to be able to kind of turn the page and, and start to look forward to winter conditioning and, and
2: spring ball coming up. And speaking of turning the page a lot of seniors are coming back to Nebraska. We're going to discuss that and what that means. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show.
1: You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
0: Yeah, you know, I've heard coaches say one of the best ways to win is to get old and to stay old. Uh, We've we really had a young team in a lot of ways uh, for a few years here. Um, getting those guys back and just the experience of playing in this league and uh, the talent that they have is going to be huge for us. It's going to give us time to continue to work with the young guys and get them ready to go. And... Um, we're thrilled to have those guys back, and they they kind of all got together. And I think the group that are coming back all kind of made that commitment to each other, and it's going to make us a better football team.
2: And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, Nate Klaus. This segment of the show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill on 30th and Yankee Hill. If you haven't been in, check out the all new Tanners. It's fully remodeled. All new TVs. They've added more TVs, if you can believe that as well. Uh, all new furniture. Um, a completely different looking sports bar. I was in there for lunch on Saturday, and and the place was was buzzing. Um, it is your premier destination to watch all the NFL action this weekend. Tanner Sports Bar on 30th and Yankee Hill, guys. You heard Coach Frost, and I mean, I, I think people are probably getting tired of that saying "get old, stay old." But Nebraska's defense right now is going to have five. Six year seniors now to build on. The offense will have essentially one that's coming back in Levi Falk. He's a wide receiver that's a walk on still, but I assume he's going to get a scholarship as well. But Ben Stilley's coming back on the D line. Will Honus and Jojo Doman are coming back at linebacker. Markel Desmuke, Deontay Williams at safety. That is a really, really good base. 17 of the top 20 players on Eric Shenander's crew, in terms of snaps played, Robin, will return in 2021.
3: Well, and that's not even counting Cam Taylor Britt, who kind of flirted with potentially making an early jump to the pros. And so, you know, he's a three-year starter, at least a three-year, you know, key contributor that is going to be coming back. So all of a sudden, you know, you look at the way Nebraska's defense played this past season. Obviously, they had their ups and downs just like anything. But overall – they were the consistent side of the ball as far as bringing it week in week out and if the offense had done you know anything close to their part, Nebraska's record probably looks a lot better because the defense played more than well enough for Nebraska to win most weeks. Now they bring back pretty much everyone I mean obviously you lose Boodle and um, you know Colin Miller and you know a handful of other guys but uh, by and large it's it's the same defense that got significantly better last year from what they were a year ago and so odds are they're going to be even better next year. And you could make the case, and maybe get your guys' thoughts on this. That on paper, Nebraska has the best defense in the Big Ten West.
4: I mean, I would say so. I, I'd really have to Wisconsin. W- I, yeah, I'd want to dive in and, and take a deeper look at, at what other teams in the Big Ten West have. But I mean, as far as experience goes, I mean, I I, I feel like the defense is probably it has as much returning experience as anybody in the in the division. Uh, I love the fact that you've got experienced playmakers on each level, the D-line linebackers and back in the back back end of the secondary there. So, um, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm really bullish on on what this defense could be. Uh, I like the the way that they've improved each season. And, and boy, I mean, uh, you know, on paper at least, it looks like Mm -hmm. they could be a pretty salty group.
2: I mean, there's really just two key questions, I think, for me. Uh, One, who's that other corner going to be? Is it Braxton yep. Clark? Is it Quentin Newsom? Is it Tameo Lynam? Is it one of the other newcomers that's coming in? And then the other question is: Can they get more consistent pass rush? Is there a guy that can get you six sacks? Can and I'm talking with a front four, not not a not a blitz. Can can a front four guy get you six plus sacks? And who is that guy? Who you know is a Casey Rogers? It could Steely give you that next year? Could Caleb Tanner? Um, how do they get? somebody to become more of an elite pass rusher because it's kind of just been this by committee a bunch of guys getting two or three sacks they need to me robin that next level guy that can be all right this is our guy that gets to quarterbacks on third down
3: yeah and i don't know if that guy is on the mean. roster right now i mean i think there's guys that maybe have potential like a robinson rogers you have been waiting four or five years on caleb, caleb tanner now hasn't worked but you know i i think that they can I think they can address that still with a committee approach, as long as you have three, four, five guys that are all in that four, three to four sack range. Because if you're getting, you know, good production from a number of different players, I think that's just as important as having one guy that's your all Big Ten pass rusher type player. So, you know, I, right now I don't think that they're going to have that player that that is that Randy Gregory type that uh, changes the look of the defense just coming off the edge. But I think that they have a number of guys that can give you quality pass rush numbers uh, both with sacks and tackles for loss that can help make the, that 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 part of the defense take the next step.
4: Yeah I, I agree I think it's probably a, a by committee approach but you know I'm interested to see what the another year in the system for a guy like Fidarius Payne does or um, you know, if Nick Henrich gets moved to outside uh, more more consistently or permanently, you know what what can he provide from from that position along with a JoJo Doman and Caleb Tanner? You know uh, what can a healthy Blaze Gunnerson um, possibly do for the you know Nico that Cooper. position? What about yeah, Nico Cooper? Nico Cooper, you know, can can he develop and, and take a step ahead and and provide something there? So I think it's always going to be at least for the time being a con- by committee approach. But I think there are a number of bodies there that are that are capable of, of at least producing uh, in certain situations.
2: You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, and we, we talked last week about the additions of Marquis Step and Samori Torrey. Um, they added a linebacker as well. Chris, Co- how do you pronounce it? Co- Korlarovic? Korlarovic. Um And they're all here now too. Um, so I think that's huge. All three of the transfer additions are here for the spring, for the eight-week winter program. Uh, Kalorovic's going to be one of those four inside linebackers. Um, but you, you figure it's going to be Will Honus, Kalorovic, Luke Reimer, um, and then Nick Henrich. Uh, those four guys um, are, are going to be really um, you know working things together on the inside. Uh, but I think just having Step here, and, and Scott Frost talked about him on the show this week. Uh, what what he's going to bring and he's like it's not like I didn't like my other guys he said but it's more I want to have a veteran to make sure those guys get the amount of time to develop needed Um, and it'll be interesting to see just how that dynamic works is there going to be some attrition in that room Um, you know my my one of my questions is what happened to Ronald Tompkins I mean Mm -hmm. we saw him as the number two and he just kind of Went on the milk cart in the rest of the year. Um, I, I, I I just questioned some of the attrition in that room where we see some somebody move out of there because of this step addition.
3: Well, so first I know that this has been asked on the, like our, our weekly chat a lot. So I'm sure there's other people that you know are asking this and don't know so what steps eligibility. What's the situation there?
2: Um, technically he has to get a waiver, but they anticipate everyone's going to get a waiver because the one time mm-hmm. transfer rule has not been passed yet. Nope. But what's going to happen is there's going to be, like, 800 waiver requests, and the NCAA is not going to have the manpower to process Mm -hmm. those. And they did, for basketball, pretty much a blanket waiver, right? Pretty much, yeah. I mean,
3: basically, if you had, like, any reasonable, uh, you know, I guess, request, then they were going to grant it.
2: So I think you'll see something similar to football because there's going to be a lot more waiver requests Mm -hmm. for football than basketball.
3: Okay, so, yeah, having those guys in there, obviously, uh, with Step in particular – it changes the dynamic of that room because he probably wouldn't come here if he didn't come in with the expectations of being the guy or one of the guys. And so who else is going to pair with him? You know, you have a competition of talented but unproven young backs that are all going to have to make their case over these next few months of the offseason as to you know who is going to be that number two or co-number one or however you want to view it.
4: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of bodies there. And and you also have Gabe Irvin, who's coming in early uh, the, the out of Buford High School there in Georgia. So, I mean, you're adding a transfer and a high school kid who I think is pretty darn good, along with uh, a bunch of other talented players there that, like you said, are um, young and unproven. So, I mean, that's going to be – that might be the position to, to really, really watch and, and look to see who's going to step up. And, um, you know, I, I think that given his experience and, and how he's produced at the Power Five level already, you know, Marquis Step obviously has a, a leg up on everybody, but who who's going to be that next guy in, in that group to, to really do it?
2: All right, well, Nebraska has a decision to make now with special teams, and we're going to discuss that and, and where that potentially goes next. You're listening here the Husker Online Show.
1: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
0: Well, I want to get the right guy in here that's going to help us uh, turn the page on on special teams and improve there. Um, I think if we if we were better on special teams, I think I probably would have won a few more games around here the last year or two and. Looking forward to trying to identify the right guy to come in and and really get our guys bought into special teams and improving some of the areas that we haven't haven't been good enough. And I'm really thankful to Rut for what he came in and, and helped us with. Uh, and wish him nothing but the best. And and we're in the process right now of trying to find the right guy to come in and and pick up where he left off.
2: And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as you heard, Scott Frost on the Husker Sports Network talking about the opening now they have on special teams and. Um, It was official this past Friday, a week ago, that Jonathan Rutledge and Nebraska parted ways. I can tell you it was probably about a month or so that he had known. I think his time was up. It wasn't like it just came down the pipe. I mean, I don't think anybody disagrees at all that the special teams approached by Nebraska last year, it just had too many holes in the ship. I mean, there there were some improvements, like Connor Culp did a great job as a, as a field goal kicker. Um, but, you know, other than that, <laughs> there weren't many bright spots. I mean, your long kickoff return on the year was 29 yards. Your kick coverage team had Cade Warner and Levi Falk trying to make tackles downfield on Aaron Crookshanks. I mean, there are just too many things that just didn't work well. And they've got to take on a more hands-on approach. What does that mean, guys? I I truly think you're going to see a full-time assistant coach become a special teams coordinator how do they get there? They're going to probably have to shuffle the staff or move something around. And that's kind of what we're waiting on here. And this doesn't have to necessarily be made like immediately. I think they've got time to like sift through this. Um, but I definitely think they're working on that right now as we speak to try to figure out how they work this special teams thing out. They need to.
3: Uh, Scott's exactly 100% right, that if they were better on special teams, their record is significantly different than what it is uh, over the first three seasons. I, I mean, you can go back and like reel off five, six, seven games that were specifically lost because of disastrous special teams, whether it be... 100-yard kickoff returns or multiple missed field goals or uh, botched punts or, you know, muffed punts or whatever it may be. Uh, the the lack of execution on that, that element of the game has been a glaring issue for Nebraska for far too long. And, you know, two years ago, they kind of had to patch that, that element of the game together uh, with Javon DeWitt's situation. You know, the whole staff had to try to uh, come together and, and kind of Fill his void in practice. Then they tried to go the analyst route, where still you're relying on full-time assistants to have to take over special teams on the actual practice field. Uh, and you know it needs to be a priority. I mean, you can't expect to beat the Northwesterns. You know, the the teams that don't make mistakes when you are constantly making mistakes in in one third of the game uh, every week. And so that. Uh, I hope that they do go full-time assistant and give that element the priority that it needs for Nebraska to win the types of games it's been losing
4: because of poor special teams play. Well, not only have they lost games due to poor special teams play, but they were surprisingly able to overcome some (laughs) and win some games where they, you know, under normal circumstances, they they probably wouldn't have, you know, I mean, the Rutgers game immediately comes to mind where, Mm -hmm. you know, if you give up a, you know, a, kickoff return for a touchdown and and allow a team to convert a couple uh, fake punts on you, typically you lose that game. So um, yeah definitely has got to change and I think in theory you know the analyst route um, you know made sense you know being able to, to take off the, that responsibility on your full time coach and let an analyst kind of to you know coordinate everything behind the scenes but you know when you aren't able to be hands on as the, the, the guy coordinating those units it's just it makes it so difficult you know I'm sure there's a lot of things that got lost in translation uh, when you're the, the analyst trying to teach the coaches and the coaches trying to teach the players Mm -hmm. uh so i I mean i do think that we're gonna probably see frost have to go the full-timer out here
2: i go back to a year ago when the opening happened with jovon dewitt uh they clearly wanted mike dawson back and that was done immediately i mean i I think when dewitt left dawson was hired because the giants fired their staff um pretty quickly last season and robert would know that more than anybody because he wasn't uh, wasn't quick enough (laughs) but um they wanted Dawson back. Dawson had been a special teams coordinator in his career, multiple stops, but uh, it became very clear that he knew that he needed to fix Nebraska's outside linebacker position. He needed to help Eric Shenander fix their scheme. Bill McGovern, also a Giants coach came on as well as an analyst. And between those two guys and Shenander, they really did fix Nebraska's scheme on defense. They figured out a way to utilize personnel, but the casualty was special teams because Mike Dawson clearly did not want to be the special teams coordinator. Like Javon DeWitt was, he wanted to focus on the scheme and he wanted to focus on that outside linebacker position. They had Sean Snyder lined up. We know that's a fact. Now, Bill Snyder was on a radio station, I believe in Topeka this past week saying that, yes, Sean was going to Nebraska, but then USC gave him a full-time job. Um, So I think that plan to get Sean Snyder, once it failed, they just kind of settled. I mean, Jonathan Rutledge is what he is. He, he, he's never going to be, in my opinion, a full-time major college assistant coach, but he's a good analyst guy. Mm-hmm. And they, they took the halfway approach, thought they could get away with it, and it did not work.
3: Yeah, and again, you can't skimp that that element of the game. It's a full face. It is. I
2: mean, and literally, it is costing you wins.
3: And so hopefully, uh, after three years, you know, the wake-up call finally happened, that that needs to become uh, a top priority for this offseason. Not only, you know, getting someone here full-time, but improving the personnel on that side of the ball. Maybe getting a healthy Daniel Cherney helps it with the punting game. Uh, and obviously uh, getting back, uh, you know, the, the, the kicking game. I mean, obviously there, there's – I think that the, – the kicking game should be better, but you still need more dynamic returns. You still have to be able to cover better, and you need better athletes on your coverage teams to where you're not relying on walk-on wide receivers to be your gunners.
4: Yeah, I mean, all you had to do to see how important special teams are is, is watch the national championship game when you've got – You've got your, you know, NFL first-rounders playing, Mm -hmm. being starters on Alabama's special teams units. So, um, you know, I I mean – You know Alabama's not skimping on special teams, and so I mean I don't think Nebraska should be either. the The question is is how do they make it work? You know, how do you reshuffle? How do you have a a full time special teams coordinator? Is it somebody who's going to be you know part who's already on the staff, or is it a new hire? I mean, what what does that look like? Is I think the bigger question now.
2: I think when you build a special teams unit too, you need to find you need four or five core guys. And, and they necessarily don't have to be the frontline players, but you need to discover a Brandon Ragoni. You need to discover a young Ricky Tanars, an Eric Martin, um, somebody uh, who, who was the guy, um, Frost's first season, that they literally pulled out of the bleachers and street clothes and then put him on the, the Creighton Prep kid. Um, name blanks my name. Uh, Bl- is blanking. Uh, uh, Stovall. Yeah, Stovall. I mean, they need to find guys like that. I mean, Stovall literally ran through walls for us first season. They had respectable special teams that first year after they gave up the kick returns to Troy and Michigan. They mm-hmm. they put Stovall on all the units, and he did help them in some areas, but they've got to find guys that want to be out there. Did, did Cade Warner really want to be covering kicks? Yeah. Did Levi Falk, I mean, I think Levi Falk is a guy that did what he had to do, but is that your best guy to have out there running down to tackle the record breaking kick returner in the Big Ten?
3: Now, I do get that with the amount of snaps that Nebraska's defensive players usually have to play, playing defensive starters on special teams is hard because, I mean, if those guys only have. Yeah, some,
2: Joe Joe shouldn't be running
3: down on kicks. Exactly. So. But, I mean, you have guys in the secondary that, you know, should be. Prime guys that, especially this year, when you have so many returning six-year seniors coming back, you got to get guys on the field, and you have talented players that should be uh, serious factors on every special teams unit that would give them a chance to play, get that game experience under their belt.
4: So in 2022, they're much more seasoned than they otherwise would be. Exactly. Well, I mean, they redshirted I think 21 players from that 2019 class, and so. That theoretically should have been available to to inject some some uh, talent into all the special teams units last year, and, and now all those guys are a year older in the system. And you would think that there's a, a core group of players to be found out of that class, uh, you know, that could really help these these units.
2: All right. When we come back, we're going to shift over to basketball. Uh, Nebraska basketball not playing this week, and they may not play till February. We'll get Robin's thoughts on that. You're listening here to the South Line Show.
1: This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
0: You know, we were lucky, um, I think handled some things well in the fall that that prevented us from having major issues with COVID. You know, really feel for Fred right now as he's trying to build that team and then having this setback and uh, mostly we're concerned for him and, and his health. Uh, you know, was texting back and forth with him a couple of days ago, and it sounds like he's doing well. But uh, these are just tough times, and and hopefully we'll we'll turn the page on this and and have uh, more normalcy very soon. But uh, certainly pulling for him and his team, and hope they can finish strong.
2: And we're back here on the Husker Online Show, with Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, it's uh, talking Nebraska basketball. That was Scott Frost addressing the situation Robin with Nebraska basketball, and you know you, you think about the football team, and they did 170 tests per day. And really, only had two to three known positive tests in the Big Ten program. Nebraska basketball has seven tier one positives with players, or just overall. Seven players, twelve total tier one personnel. Which, including I mean, the head coach, that's incredible. I mean, when you when you think about just how out of control this thing can get. Mm-hmm. Um, but the time of year, we know the winter. Um, we always thought that the winter was going to be a tough time for this virus, and. And it's proving to be very tough for a lot of people in college basketball, not just Nebraska, um, but it just tells you the, the, the virus will do what it wants, and 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 it, you can't you can try to stop it, but it's going to do what it does. And uh, Nebraska basketball, in the meantime, probably will only play two games, Robin, over this entire month of January.
3: Yeah, as of right now, um, you know they've played since the turn of the new year. They played January second uh, against Michigan State. And then hosted Indiana on the 10th, and since then they've had what five, six cancel five cancellations. And right now, the last game of, of the month is this coming Wednesday against uh, Penn State. And given Nebraska's situation, the fact that they're going to uh, continue to be on a full pause of team activities uh, through the weekend, uh, I think until Sunday, you know, the odds of them being able to get ready and prepared enough to play a big 10 basketball game, uh, by Wednesday just doesn't seem, you know, feasible at this point. So I, nothing official has come out yet, but I would expect that game, um, on the 29th to, or on the 30th, sorry, to be postponed and add that one to the list. And then they finally return to action probably, uh, on the third, the following week, uh, at Michigan state, but you know, Michigan state, they're going through their own COVID stuff too. They have four or five players just test positive too. So, uh, and Tom Izzo has already had COVID. So, I mean, it's it's a deal, like you said, where it's not just a Nebraska issue. People want to like point fingers and say, what's the basketball team doing? Well, you know, Villanova, they just played, I think earlier this week, their first game since December 23rd because of you know COVID. DePaul uh, didn't even play their first game until well into late December. So, I mean, it's happening all over the country. And it just goes to show you that with basketball, it's so much different that Everyone is together all the time, and with football, you know, you're breaking it up offense, defense, by position, where not everybody is on the court together, in the locker room together, in the meeting room together, watching film together, whereas basketball, one guy gets it, it spreads like wildfire, and that's exactly what Nebraska's dealing with right now.
2: And you cough a lot in basketball when you're on the court. I mean, it's it's just the the nature of the virus. Yeah, you're right, and and the time of year, too, I mean – I think when football started, I mean, knowing what we know now, the Big Ten should have started in September, Mm -hmm. and they waited later. Um, But they had the perfect schedule laid out, but obviously they couldn't get their administration to to agree to start that early because of the questions, which led them to start October 24th. Basketball, you know, they drugged their feet, drugged their feet. Um, Should they have been a little bit more aggressive in December and and tried to play maybe a couple more conference games in December? I mean, they gave a lot of downtime – that you would have liked to have had right now.
3: Yeah, well, especially with condensing the non-conference schedule and only allowing seven games. I mean, that was supposed to create more windows for you to be able to play your conference games, which are obviously the most important. So now you're looking at a situation where, let's just assume that that Penn State game um, next Wednesday gets gets canceled. Uh, I mean, there's a chance for Nebraska will have to play roughly 15 games in 34 days. And there's going to be a whole bunch of shuffling that goes along with the final six weeks of the schedule uh, to where, I mean, you're probably playing back-to-back games, uh, you know, against double play opponents that have already been postponed. That's another thing worth noting is I think four of the five postponed games so far against double play opponents. So Nebraska will play four of those five postponed games. Uh, we're, We're already set for a second meeting, which in theory, you could potentially play back to back where you're playing you know two consecutive nights or two games in three days just to try to pack those games in there just out of convenience so uh, what the schedule looks like now I have a feeling is going to look significantly different once they start moving pieces around try to get all 20 games in because the Big Ten needs all 20 games played for each team.
2: Now I don't understand though Robin like what's going to take precedent like what is it in order of cancellation is it just trying to puzzle it together? Yeah
3: puzzle it together I don't think there's a priority I think it's just a matter of can you get the games played before the NCAA tournament. And why it's so big for the Big Ten is, uh, I mean, they have a serious chance of getting 10 to 12 teams in the NCAA tournament. And if it comes down to it where those teams 10 through 12 uh, are pitting at large resumes against maybe schools from other conferences that played more games, uh, maybe that would be the, the difference between getting in and not getting in. So, uh, you know, this is a huge year for the conference that uh, could be kind of an unprecedented field uh, for one league in the tournament. And, and that's why they need these games to be played and they're going to do everything they can to make sure it happens.
2: And each team you get in by each win, you get more money. Uh-huh. Um, each, each game you play in the NCAA tournament is a unit and the NCAA gives you a certain amount of money per unit. So the more units, the more money for the league and, Let's face it. This league does need some money.
3: Absolutely. And so that's why I said, I mean, they're going to, if, even if it comes down to like, here's another possible situation. What if they decide to scrap the conference tournament altogether just to give themselves another week to try to play more games and, and make up as many games as they possibly can. And, I think that's honestly a a realistic option.
2: That gives the inventory still to the television network.
3: Exactly. I mean, you're you're not losing any TV money. And you know, you're another issue is right now, the, the moving everybody to Indianapolis, all it takes is, you know, one team to have an outbreak. And then one team gets infected and everybody's around each other, practicing on the same chords, playing on the same chords, uh, using the same locker rooms. Uh, you could have a serious outbreak within your conference, not just a team, but within your conference, that could cause huge ripple effects come NCAA tournament
2: time. I wonder if they could come up with a pod where like there's three teams that need to play one another and you just play them in the same place. I, I mean, obviously I don't think that's likely, but yeah, I think you're right, Robin, that, that weekend of, March 11th through 14th, you might just have Big Ten games being played in those windows. Like CBS or whoever airs the conference title game, Fox, uh, they're going to want a Big Ten game on those days. So maybe the league's like, all right, whatever our most marquee game that needs to be rescheduled, we're going to play that right before the selection show. That's
3: the thing with the Big Ten, too, is you can get – multiple top 25 versus top 25 matchups that uh, would be appealing to the networks that could help you uh, get this thing to happen. But honestly, I think the most likely scenario right now is that situation where you're playing back-to-back games at some point where, you know, Nebraska, you know, they were supposed to go to Purdue. Purdue comes to Lincoln and they play either two games in two game days or two games in three days. And you just make it up that way to really pack games in there that, you is going to be a total grind for these players, but such is life in 2020. Now, kids,
2: though, Robin, they play multiple games in a day in summer leagues and whatnot. I get it, a, col- a true college game, <laughs> the intensity of the defense no and whatnot doubt. is yeah. different. Yeah, I mean, especially in the Big Ten. I mean, The quality of these games won't be that good, yeah. though.
3: Yeah, I mean, guys are going to be worn down. It's, it's going to be brutal. And, you know, honestly, you got to wonder what that impact is going to have for the come tournament. NCAA tournament time when, you know, these guys have played so many games in a six-week period that – you know how much gas
2: is going to be left in the tank for when it really matters. Is it is it a twenty game conference schedule? Twenty games. So like Iowa has already played eight, so they only have to get twelve games in still.
3: Yeah, and so then look at Penn State, you know, and and I guess now Nebraska. I mean, they're so far behind those that it's going to be totally imbalanced. That they're uh, going to get five makeups in, right? Yeah, for Nebraska right now it could be six. <laughs> yeah, so. You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, I know that the Big Ten is going to be very creative and try to do everything, but honestly, I think their first course of action, if they can do it, is just to just jam-pack that last conference tournament week. Yeah. Exactly.
2: All right. When we come back, uh, we'll bring Nate Klaus in and we are going to discuss the transfer portal and recruiting next. You're listening here to the Scott Line Show.
1: listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics.
0: Uh, there's still uh, you know, a couple kids out there, high school kids that, that we're trying to recruit. Uh, we got a couple of spots left, so we want to use them the right way. You know, I, I suspect there'll be some more kids available too uh, after signing day, uh, either in the transfer portal. We're trying to look ahead, too, and, and normally uh, junior colleges, Greg, have had their seasons already, and a lot of those are kids are getting recruited. Well, most of those schools are playing in the spring, and there's not a lot of schools with many spots left. So we'll, we'll keep our eye out for the best available, and um, we got a couple spots in our pocket to, to try to pick a couple people up that can help the team.
2: And we're back here on the Husker Line Show final segment. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus talking recruiting. As you heard Scott Frost say, Nate, just two spots left. We think, we think one's being held for Avante Dickerson and – um, we'll see kind of where that all goes uh, with him and his recruitment. But I, I think Nebraska, the later it goes, um, continues to sit in a good spot with him. But then that wild card 25th spot, what do you do with it? Um, and I think Scott Frost hinted that you've got to be light on your toes because you don't know what that need's going to be. It might be a quarterback here in about a week or two. It might be. Um, a pass rusher, um, but I, it might be a junior college guy that emerges in the spring. Um, it might be a transfer guy that emerges in the spring. But the bottom line is, um, it will be interesting to see because everyone's going to be in the same boat as in Nebraska. They're not going to have a lot of spots to use, and you got to be smart with how you use it down the stretch.
4: Yeah, you have to be really smart with how you use it, and um, and you have to be able to act fast too, because anytime there's going to be, you know, if there's a big name that goes in the portal or. Uh, or somebody that is, that is kind of sticking out like a sore thumb, I mean, there's going to be a lot of teams that are going after that particular player. Or, you know, you mentioned the junior college um, season that that's coming up this spring, and, and we talked about it last week. I mean, if there's somebody that is just having one heck of a season um, you know that's really standing out, I think there's there's going to be a lot of teams that, that try to pounce on that player if they have a spot available. So, I mean, it would be nice if Nebraska kind of had one in their back pocket to use uh, if that were the case. But, you know, as we know with junior college players, there's a lot of things, a lot of other factors that still have to align, uh, most notably academics and whatnot, uh, for, the, for that to happen. But, um, I mean, there's so many different ways they could go. It's just, I mean, it's uh, I think it's all going to be – Kind of, you know, it's going to be determined by what their biggest need is and, and who may or may not be available.
2: It will be interesting, too, Nate, even with the FCS ranks. I mean, there's a lot of grumblings out there that their seasons are going to get canceled. And, you know, the the staging of a spring season might just be that. It was just kind of a, a mirage to keep kids there. Um, and in all reality, they're not going to be able to manage the COVID and the testing at that level very well. Uh, Division two obviously, was not able to play. Um, but if that were to happen with FCS, there could be a lot of dis- disgruntled FCS players that that look to jump ship, too.
4: Yeah. And good players. I mean, I we think already saw that with Nebraska it, getting two of them. Exactly. And I mean, there are there are very good players at that level. Um, you know, and, you know, a lot of times they're just kind of late bloomers or, or kids that, that really fell through the cracks that uh, probably should be playing up at the, you know, the. Uh, power five level or whatever, but uh, for whatever reason, they, they, you know, they, they had to go the FCS route. So, uh, I mean, if that happens, you, there's going to be a ton of players available, but um, you know, like, again, I think the bottom line is there's, there's going to be a lot more players to be had this year than maybe ever before. And so, um, you know, how, it, how you choose to use that spot uh, or, or when you choose to
2: use it could uh, could be very important. Yeah. Over the last week uh, we've already seen Montana, Montana State and Portland State opt out of their full Big Sky Spring schedules, and they'll potentially play, and I say potentially, a modified non-conference schedule, uh, citing some of the reasons were the freezing temperatures and just the other obstacles of getting a team ready to play in January in Montana and these places, and it makes sense why Samori Torrey got out of there. He clearly had some intel um, what was going on, that he didn't trust the game plan of playing a spring season.
4: Well, and for a guy like that who's got a lot riding on the next level, I mean, he had to try and make the best decision for himself. And, um, you know, could he have been a draft pick this year? Yeah, yeah, he could have been. Uh, But, you know – could he even improve his stock even further? You know, if he picked the right situation to go to at, at the power five level, absolutely. And so I think he, you know, he had to make, uh, you know, the the best decision for himself, and he obviously did have some sort of intel on on what was going to happen they're at, at, uh, at that level. And so, I mean, good for Nebraska, uh, at least right now we think that, I mean, it looks like they got a pretty good player, um, you know, out of the, out of the transfer portal.
2: You're listening here to the Husker online show as we talk recruiting, Nate, and the transfer portal continues to really be the recruiting story of January, Tennessee parts ways with our good buddy, Jeremy Pruitt. Yeah. <laughs> but in the meantime, they've had 15 vol players go on the portal and, I think that's a pretty good indicator. If you have a sudden coaching change now, that's really gonna be dramatic, and you know, players maybe aren't committed to your school for the right reasons. Um, you know, this is what's gonna happen everywhere. I mean, even if you do these things after signing day, etc. When you make a change, transfer portal stuff is just gonna blow up like we're seeing at Tennessee right now.
4: Yeah, well, and, and in this particular situation, I think that. Uh, a lot of these guys know that the NCAA is going to be coming down pretty hard on on the Vols here. And, uh, you know, and that probably means reduced scholarships, um, you know, bowl bands and and so on and so forth. And so I think a lot of these guys kind of see the writing on the wall and, and maybe they don't want to go through another coaching change. They don't want to uh, potentially have – any, you know, any bowl games taken away or, or, you know, maybe they, maybe they know they might be on the chopping block if the scholarships get reduced. So, uh, I mean, it doesn't come as a huge surprise to me that we've seen a mass exodus of Tennessee players kind of hit the portal and, Um, You know, and and I'm sure there's a fair amount of those players that are going to have some pretty good traction in the portal.
2: I mean, Nebraska, any of those names that hit the portal, do you reckon? I mean, they're big name four-star guys. Did Nebraska really recruit very many of those guys? I mean,
4: yeah, they, they offered a handful of those guys. I wouldn't necessarily say any of the names, you know, are guys that Nebraska had a lot of traction with at one point in time but you know sometimes you you never really know i mean sometimes when you circle back around you know if you if you had um you know if a kid that entered the portal remembers you know let's say you're um you know greg austin you know if if a kid in the portal remembered talking with greg austin a couple times and um, now he's available once again. If if Greg Austin reached back out, you know that that might be a whole another level of interest now than it was when he was coming out of high school. So, um, but yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say any of those guys are are players that Nebraska had a lot of traction with out Ten- of high school.
2: Tennessee, it reminds me of Nebraska in some respects. I mean, just the tradition, the high expectations, despite having maybe not the the, the best recruiting in-state territory. And Tennessee's a decent state. It's better than Nebraska. But what intrigues me about that job is it borders eight states. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can get a lot of – I mean, they border Mississippi, Alabama, Missouri. Um, They're 20 miles from the Illinois border. So you you can get a lot of people to Tennessee. um, But for whatever reason, it reminds me of Nebraska in the sense they've always had a hard time – recently getting everybody on the same page there for that job
4: yeah they they, I mean they had a they had a run there where they were really really good and then kind of things fell off and they've been in this cycle now where they're just kind of going through coaches every every three or four years it seems like and um, you know and and that's a rabid fan base that has high expectations that's uh, you know there's a lot of former players that are involved there at uh, Tennessee and um, you know, I, I mean, there's a lot of similarities there between that program and Nebraska.
2: Well, lots to keep tabs on here with the transfer portal, roster movement, basketball news. Make sure you are logged on to HuskerOnline.com as we will keep you up to date with the
1: latest. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.